Welcome to The Good Mood Show with Matt O'Neill. This is the show to help you navigate the challenging moods we all experience as human beings and where you will learn the best strategies to feel the good moods and good vibes we all love to feel. Because when you feel like your best self, you are your best self. This is The Good Mood Show. Now, here's your host, Matt O'Neill. Welcome to The Good Mood Show. I'm your host, Matt O'Neill. Today, I am joined by podcast sensation, Case Kenny. Case, welcome to the show. Hello, man. Good to be here. Thanks for the uh, the, the title of sensation. That's a first for me, but I will I will take it. It's really cool. Man, so but thanks. you you are <laughs> absolutely you are a sensation, man. You got you know you know there's two and a half million podcasts in the world, and your podcast is ranked in the top thirty out of two and a half million options that people have. I mean, that is just absolutely sensational, and it it's an honor to have this conversation with you and. Um, just so you guys know a little bit more about Case, Case is also a best-selling author. He's working on his second book. He's produced many journals that are helping people. Uh, his podcast is called New Mindset, Who Dis? He, his book is called But First, Inner Peace. And uh, he's also bringing mindfulness with, um, with music, where he's got DJ collabs and bringing mindfulness in a new way that's, that's really exciting. Man, Case, it is just an honor to be here with you and talking with you. Thank you, man. Yeah, I love, I love, you know, any opportunity to talk about myself and what I love is a good opportunity. So I appreciate you giving me a platform to do that. Yeah, man. Um, you had said, and this is one of my uh, favorite things I've ever seen about mindfulness. In in your book, you said your brand of mindfulness doesn't require pressure, trips to the Himalayas, silent retreats, or crystals. <laughs> And that it's uh, radically changed the lives of tens of millions of people. Um, and you said it, it, it really is just about radical honesty with ourself. You know, what, what is radical honesty? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, that paragraph and that sentence in my definition of mindfulness is kind of just a, you know, a quirky, you know, kind of cynical look at the, you know, mindfulness as a whole. I, I think younger me, I'm 34, but younger me, you know, I, I saw the word mindfulness and I was like, oh, mindfulness is this thing. It's not for me because mindfulness is meditation. Mindfulness is chakras and energies and frequencies. These things that definitely a value. It just, it just seemed so foreign and esoteric to me. I just assumed it wasn't for, you know, practical, regular people. I thought it was for the type of people who, you know, did those kinds of things, people who went to Burning Man or people who went to, you know, to Bali and, and stuff like that. Um, but what I came to realize, whether through growth or whether through just maturing, um, was that mindfulness, to your point, is, is very simple. It's just about radical honesty. Um, it's literally in the word. Mindfulness is to, you know, the practice of being mindful and to be mindful is to be aware and to be aware of self-awareness and self-awareness is, is, all is basically practically radical honesty, but you know, I just learned through the, the 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 process of talking about these topics and practicing it that you know, radical honesty is literally the simplest thing in the world. It's the practice of asking yourself why, w h y, and that's all that mindfulness is. And of course, it could take many different forms. It could take many different um, habits and routines, and there are deep layers to it, and there's practical layers to it. But at the end of the day, it's just about asking yourself why. And if you approach mindfulness through that lens, you can get a lot out of it very quick. 
as opposed to what I used to do, which is think it's way complicated. It's not for me. It's to this. It's to that. It's, it's none of that. It's very practical. And you don't have to go anywhere or do anything or own anything. You literally just need to ask yourself that word in as many different contexts as possible. And um, for me, that's just been a life-changing realization. And the best thing of all, it's, you know, mindfulness is a muscle. It's like anything. The more you practice it, the better you get at it. And, um, you know, I, I've realized that through, you know, the the practice of the podcast and my writing and everything. But um, it's just one of those things that at one point seemed very esoteric and now seems of utmost practicality. And I love that evolution. And I love sharing my my passion for it. Yeah. You know, the first time I went to take a class in meditation, uh, my buddy invited me to come meditate with this monk. And I'm like, what do I wear? <laughs> You know, it just seems the ultimate question. Yeah. It seemed so, like you said, out there that it didn't seem like it was for me. And I felt very foreign with this whole topic of mindfulness. Uh, I've come to know it similar to what you're describing as an uh, constantly having an inner gaze, not just this external gaze. It it, how are people thinking of me or what are my results in the world? But the inner gaze, and this is how you so eloquently put it, asking yourself why, like what is going on inside of me that is having me act the way that I'm acting? And if I can always be looking inside at, at my motives for how I'm doing things, then I think I'm living mindfully. It, it kind of sounds like what you were saying. Yeah. I love the idea of an inner gaze. Yeah. I think you know, mindfulness is the inner gaze and it's also combining your inner and outer gazes. It's, you know, saying, I see this in life and here's what I make of it. Not what I think I need to make of it, not what I'm told to make of it, not what I'm told is possible or this or that, insert whatever adjective you want, but it's looking within and, and defining that and redefining it. It's it's challenging things like conditioning, truths that you've been told, truths that you've been living by. And then the way that we tend unchecked to use our outer gaze to reinforce those inner assumptions it's it's rewiring everything so it's a combination of inner and outer it's a combination of why on the inside and then applying that on the outside and i think that's the greatest gift in life is to redefine what is true for you especially in this day and age where we're just beat over the head with opinions and truths and advice which again is all great i love perspective of any flavor but at the end of the day we have to determine what's right for us, not what is comfortable for us, not what we're told is right for us, but what is really, really right for us. And that is what mindfulness gets you at the end of the day, it gives you that clarity. Um, and it's, you know, it's a mix of, of a very practical navigating of life, but also, you know, a deeper sense of, of self-understanding and, you know, sitting in that space where things are uncomfortable, potentially. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the radical honesty. Yeah. Is sitting in the place where things are uncomfortable. And being honest about, I don't want to be feeling what I'm feeling right now. And why am I feeling it? And let me just get honest about what is it inside of me that's making me feel this way? Because it's not the external world. It's really just my thoughts about it. And if we want yeah. to get super honest with ourselves, I'm creating all the drama in my life. I'm creating all the turbulence. It's not the things that are happening outside of me. It's just the way that I'm interpreting those things. That's to me, that's the radical honesty that will give me freedom if I just want to just stay, stay with the uncomfortable thoughts of, man, I can't believe that person did this to me. Yeah. hundred percent. Aversion to discomfort is what reinforces our learned behavior. Sitting in that discomfort to your point is what allows us to lessen the weight of it, lessen our aversion to it, and then eventually redefine 
um, you know, the influence it might have on our life. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and ultimately it's like, we're, we're speaking in, in pretty vague terms right now, um, uh, which is, you know, that's, that's self-help that's mindfulness. But I think ultimately, you know, you know, sitting in discomfort, you know, that's what like a therapist offers you. Right. But they're good at it. They know what questions to ask you. They know how to, to, to poke and prod. So you can't escape to your safe space. Um, but you know, we don't necessarily have that acumen for ourselves to to be smart and EQ driven to know when we're trying to escape. We don't have that third person perspective where someone can help us to do that. You know, mindfulness is is self therapy. It's it's using our own understanding of ourselves um, to further that understanding of ourselves. And it's, you know, discomfort is a huge, huge part of it. And when we don't have the benefit of, you know, an outside third party or, or someone guiding us through it, it's very easy to just run from those feelings. But, you know, the ultimate gift you can give yourself is to sit in that honesty um, and know what it gives you. Like we have to incentivize ourselves. I try to think practically. It's like, why am I practicing mindfulness? Why? You know, there's many, many reasons, but ultimately for me, I, I always come down to the two of it gives you closure and clarity, two of my favorite words in life. I think if you're always striving, um, not outcome driven necessarily, but striving to give yourself closure and clarity in life, you're going to look back and regret fewer things because you're not going to be tethered to some weight in your past. You're going to have found a, a variety of acceptance, uh, a version of acceptance to move to move past that thing. And you're going to be able to answer yes or no in the present to what you're doing. Why am I doing this thing? Why am I dating this person? Why am I going after this goal? As opposed to looking back 10 years from now and being like, man, I, I had no reason to go after that. I, I, I don't know why I did those things. So that is what mindfulness gives you. And I think it's we're human. Like we need to incentivize ourselves to do things. It's like, why do we work out? It could be many reasons when you want to look good to you want to live longer. But at the end of the day, you're incentivizing yourself. And it's the same with mindfulness. I think we need to find that incentive and uh, use it to, you know, incentivize us to stay in that discomfort. Yeah. And, and I know you said we were talking vague just to bring this into like a uh, real life situation. I, I, you know, I didn't ask myself, why am I striving for so much? external success? Why do I want this real estate company I run to be number one in the state? You know, I didn't, I just, just assumed everybody wanted to do that. I assumed everybody wanted to grow the biggest company that they could. And I didn't ask myself that question, why? And when I finally did, and that was this track of radical honesty that we're talking about right now, I, I figured out that I was on a path to prove that I was enough. And I would just, I just thought if I just accomplish enough, I'll prove to myself and to the world and to everyone else that I'm, I'm in fact enough. And, uh, it didn't matter. It didn't matter how yeah. many awards we won, best in the state, fastest growing company, best company to work for. It didn't matter. I still never healed feeling enough inside with the external awards. And, um, and that is what you're, what you said is mindfulness can give us closure and it can give us clarity. Well, I finally got closure on this need to achieve, to prove that I'm enough and clarity that I already was. And man, there's nothing better than that. I could have gone though for another 50 years, more accomplishments, more net worth, more yeah. this, more, 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 more. And I never would have gotten the closure yeah. or the clarity. Yeah, man. That's, that's such an important message. It's like, you know, success and accomplishment and achievement are very, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm very 
you know, I'm a capitalist. I love money. I love being successful. I worked a long time in, in corporate America doing sales, like very wired for outcomes that that then define you by the results, right? And you know, it's very easy to lose sight of the question of, you know, why don't I feel that I'm enough? And you lose track of that because they're like, well, you know, I, I make this amount of money and I've done this and I lead this team and I've done these things. It's like we, it's very quickly we can we we allow success to become our definition of something much more um, spiritual and we lose sight of that. And that's very, very easy. Your story is very similar to my story as well in that sense. And, you know, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I do think success and achievement is a very important element of fulfillment in life, but it's not the element. And it's and if we can, you know, sometimes we get addicted to it and it become this drug that, you know, forces distraction upon us. It's you know, one of those things where mindfulness then can help you get in there and realize what is the and that's in addition to the, you know, element of success in your life. But it's a, it could be a slippery slope. You know, a lot of times we can feel very lost and lonely inside, but oh, I'm making money and money will be my thing. That will be my thing. And then, you know, again, we might wake up in 50 years and be like, shit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Hey, if you love to stay in good moods as much as I do, be sure to hit the subscribe button on the Good Mood Show podcast. That way we could get you a good mood every single week. And look, if you know someone else that could use a good mood, share the show with them. Send them a text message. Let them know about the Good Mood Show and let's brighten up the world. So the, your book is called But First, Inner Peace. One of the greatest book titles I've ever read. <laughs> and wow. I, I just, I was immediately drawn. It was one of those things that showed up on Amazon on other books that I was interested in. And I just, as soon as I saw the title, I had to know more about you. Um, you know, and, and I've read quite a bit of the book and you, you tell some stories about your life. What, what's one of your favorite stories from, from your book that, that you'd like to share? Oh, geez. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I think for me, I mean, I've done lots of like, um, you know, I've done a lot of things that like really proved to me, like what I'm capable of. Cause I think I used to be very much a, you know, follow, toe the line, do the things, you know, my brother went to Harvard. My mom was a lawyer, very typical kind of type of career expectations, personal expectations. You know, I think for me, I mean, even as much as like quitting my job, I invested eight years at, at this company I worked for, um, went from account executive to vice president, leading a sales team there, um, did really well for myself, made a lot of money. It was great. Um, and, you know, I was continuing to do well. And then I, and I quit <laughs> to do this, to do, to share my feelings for a living. Um, you know, that was a big, a big thing for me. And, you know, I'm really proud of that decision because not only was it a decision that was for me um, to our point of, you know, success versus personal fulfillment, but also it just proved to me what is possible. I mean, I, I joke that I share my feeling, feelings for a living, but I make a living from sharing my feelings for a living. Like what greater gift is it in life to redefine what you can do for a living? talk about the idea of ikigai which is the, the the japanese concept of you know the venn diagram of what you're good at what the world needs what you can get paid for that that kind of overlap you know what a gift it is to find that for myself and to have built it from scratch so you know i'm proud of myself in, in that sense but it's just been a really cool experience along the way of you know finding peace in, in that um versus and you know continuing to stick out something that was good to me no doubt about it but was not my thing was not my uh, the thing that i really wanted to do i i think in the book I don't even remember where I wrote it, uh, is this idea of the gray in life. The gray in life is this ambiguous zone in life where you're kind of just doing 
what is comfortable. You're doing what has worked. You're doing what you're told to do. And that was me. Um, and it worked. Um, but escaping the gray by giving myself closure and clarity and, and quitting the job has been a, you know, something I'm really proud of and something I think, you know, was a catalyst I really, really needed in my life. And here we are. And, you know, um, you know, I share that example to, I don't know, maybe inspire people to, you know, create something of their own, but also just to like believe in themselves, you know, the cliches, but, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a whirlwind ever since. Man, that is, that, that took so much bravery to go from this known like vice president, massive income, all the expectations of you continuing to perform for so many different people and to like, there, there, you know, then, then there's this unknown. Will I even be any good? Will anyone care? Can I like support myself? Like, man, I'm sure there was a lot of fear and anxiousness around that decision. How, how would somebody believe in themselves as much as you have and go for their dreams? Yeah. I mean, I would be lying if I said I still don't have moments of doubt. Of course I do. You know, it's, that was a, a big decision to change what had been working for a while and step into a massive unknown. Um, you know, I, I, the cliches are true. I'm not afraid of a cliche. I mean, a lot of it does come down to your belief in yourself, but also like the why. Like, you know, you're stepping into the unknown, but why? Like, why are you doing the thing that you're doing? Why are you drawn to the work that you're you're drawn to? Like, for me... I have a such a strong built-in incentive to do what I do. Like the podcast has been and always will be my therapy. I there is never a time 433 episodes where I sat down and haven't gotten value from the process. Every single time I sit down and I spend 3 to 4 hours on an episode, I get the value from that. I get value from it. It's therapy. It absolutely is. And I don't think that'll ever change. So I I have built-in personal soulful level and, you know, incentive to to do these things you know, then all that's the missing element is how to make a living from it, how to make money from it. Um, but that's really important. I mean, I, you know, I talk to a lot of people, I surround myself with a lot of you know startups and entrepreneurs. And a lot of times they don't have that, that, that why factor, that incentive. And so, yeah, when the going gets tough and the business model is in, in flow, it, it can become very distracting. And then the self-doubt creeps in and then, you know, you go back to what is easy and comfortable. So I really do think you need to have that very strong why to the thing. Start with why. It's the most common entrepreneur advice, but, um, you know, it is true. If you don't have that, you know, this, this year was rocky too. You know, being someone who shares his feelings for a living with products that people don't necessarily need in their life amidst a recession, potentially, it's very tough. A lot of ups and downs. So, um, you know, having that that self-belief, uh, I think has always been really important. And then, you know, I mean, then you got to get practical, diversifying how you make money, um, not putting all your eggs in one basket, um, you know, being really strategic, thinking long-term. I mean, it took, I just released a product last week that's in Target and Walmart. And um, I started that in October of last year. Took a year, so you know you got to think long term for sure. Yeah, I am really excited about everything you just shared in this idea that you got to start with why. I I remember I read Simon Sinek's book Start with Why, and I watched his I watched his TED talk on Start with Why, and the the he drew the target, you know, and on this on the thing, and I was like, man, I don't get it. How do you <laughs> how do you figure out your why? You know, yeah. and, and so I, I'd love to just get your take on that. How, you know, the person listening to this show that, that has heard this a bunch of times, start with why, how do you find your why? Oh, man, it's such a good question. I, you know, I, I really try to stay away from, you know, 
advice that I don't think I should be giving. So I would so I would say for one, I fell into my why. I didn't sit down one day and be like, I need to figure out my why. And I came up with a blueprint and, and here it is. I wish I could say that. I think one of the, but I will offer this that I have learned. I think, you know, I am very engineered to minimize regret in my life. And I act out of that desire. And there's a difference between minimizing regret and acting out of fear. There's a big difference. I don't want to look back and regret. I think that is what scares me most. Other people's have other people have different fears. My fear is looking back and having regret because you cannot change it. And that scares the shit out of me. So for me, you know, thinking about how do you find out what your thing is? Well, I think the first thing is like we need to remove the pressure to find that necessarily. Like it should be an intention, but to be like, all right, this weekend on Saturday before the games, I'm gonna sit down and figure out my why. Not the right attitude. I think uh one of the things that I found really powerful, of course, is journaling. And one of the journaling prompts that I, I love to give people that can give all kinds of clarity. And I think the clarity that you'll get is the clarity that you're looking for. So maybe you look at this prompt here within the scope of why. You know, one of the questions I always like to ask myself is, what am I afraid of regretting? And I literally write it out and say, I don't want to look back and regret blank. And I try to come up with as many different answers as possible. Practical ones from shooting my shot to, you know, more esoteric ones like being true to myself, things like that. I think fear of regret can be a powerful incentive for clarity because you come up with that list. You're like, oh, man, I, I don't want to regret that. And if I and if I were to act on that, what would I do? Well, I would do this. Well, maybe that is my thing. So I think, you know, to find your why, I actually haven't watched his TED Talk or read his book. I'm familiar with his work. So I, I, I am blank slate here of what he even said. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes it's not about asking your question of what is my why? What is my purpose? What is my passion? Sometimes it comes from other questions. And one of the questions that I like to ask is the one I just referenced. Um, but uh, yeah, I would start with something like that. I mean, you know, that's, that could be the ultimate catalyst for clarity quickly. Look yourself in the mirror and say, what don't I want to regret? You know, I think sometimes we know what we don't want more than what we do want and answering the don't can give us the the do, you know what I mean? We're weird. We're wired like that. So off the top of my head, that's what I would say. Oh, it's beautiful. I took notes on that so that I can go back to myself with my journal tomorrow and ask myself, what don't I want to regret? Yeah, I, I I call this the rocking chair test, and I learned it from Tony Robbins. And it's it's a similar exercise I've done in other books before, and it's writing your own obituary. And Tony says, okay, imagine you're 89, and you're sitting on the front porch with a nice, cool breeze, and you, you got your glass of lemonade, and you're just kind of like reflecting back on your whole life. What happened? What happened that made you the most proud? What do you wish you would have gone for that you didn't? And that's the same question. Yeah, what am same. I afraid yeah. of regretting? It's just yeah. this visualization of actually putting ourselves at the end of life and saying, hey, what am I proud I accomplished? If you could like wave a magic wand and accomplish anything in the next between now and 89. And then um, what do I wish I would have gone for? And, you know, um, I was doing that exercise and I came up with this. And man, if I don't write this book, I will have really regretted that. Cool. Yeah. Heck yes. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a real eye opener, right? Fear of regret, fear of looking back and having not done something. That's a big one. And sometimes we need like, we need a negative emotion to inspire positive action, right? And I, I, sometimes we're afraid of that. Like we don't want to sit in regret. We don't want to sit in discomfort to our whole conversation. So 
I think any exercise, whether it's Tony's version or my version or someone else's version, just wrapped up differently. I think it could be the greatest gift you can give yourself. Yeah, man. So your book starts with a quote that I wrote down because it, it was impactful to me. You said, there is magic in your future. You must believe it exists and that it's waiting for you. There's magic in your future. Not everybody believes that there's magic in their future. How, how could I or anyone listening here foster this belief in, in magic coming in the future? Yeah, you know, the reason I said that was it's just so easy nowadays to do a couple of very negative things. It's so easy to see social media and buy into other people's narratives. If you're on TikTok and you get sucked into dating TikTok, for instance, all the people telling their dating stories, it is no leap of imagination that you're going to come up with a more cynical, negative view of dating. Because everyone's hopping on there talking about how this guy did this, this girl did this, dating's horrible, apps are horrible, millennials killed romance, so on and so forth. It's very easy to get in a headspace where everyone sucks, blah, 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 for one. It's also very easy to you know, be down on yourself because you're lacking something in your life and to look at your past and say, well, this negative thing happened, this negative thing happened, I gave it a shot, I failed, that's it. I tried, I failed. So between the two, personal evidence and anecdotal evidence from other people at scale, it's very easy to extrapolate that all to the future. It is, it's so easy. It's so easy to say, I've gone on 50 dates and they've all failed. Why would 51 matter? I am unlovable. Everyone, every man is dishonest and, and every woman is crazy because look at all these people that are saying it. It's universal. It has to be true. And obviously, I'm saying this very clearly. And I think most people listening would be like, well, yeah, well, no, I wouldn't think like that. But we're wired to extrapolate. We're wired to see evidence A, B, C, and then say conclusion. All we need is a couple of data points. And the, the reason I say something you know, like we have magic in our lives and it's waiting for us and it's in the future is that is only true if we're willing to wipe the slate clean in our lives. That is, we're disappointed one time, two times, 50 times. Like if we don't believe that there is more opportunity in the future, second chances in the future, then literally what is the point of trying? Like, why do we try in life? We try because there is a po possibility, no matter how small of succeeding, of reaching an outcome, whatever it may be. But if we become this mindset that I just see so often that all people are like this. All men cheat. All women are crazy. I'll never reach this level of success. Everyone is lucky but me. Then it's like, what's the point of trying? So we have to rewire ourselves to be willing to wipe the slate clean. Like, man, there's all kinds of ways to do that. Of course, like take the lesson with you, take the standard with you. What are you grateful for? The people who hurt you, helped you, like all these kinds of exercises that I talk about. But if you don't believe that there is magic in the future. What is the point? We have to learn to wipe the slate clean. So I'm just very big on this idea lately, particularly, and particularly within the scope of dating, because I do a lot of dating content. It's just we have to wipe the slate clean, both personally for what has happened to us and anecdotally through what we're told is true about the world around us. It's the most debilitating thing in the world to just you know, use evidence to support future assumptions and to use other people's stories to also support those assumptions. But the greatest gift you can give yourself is to believe in second chances, to believe that not everyone is the same, and to believe, to my point, that there is some sort form of magic that is available to you in the future. Man, thank you for sharing that. And, and uh, something came to mind as you were talking about this with, in the context of dating. Um, I met my wife online and it, it wasn't cool back then. In fact, <laughs> you were super embarrassed about it. You know, like, like we would tell people we met at the bar, like that's normal. 
yeah, we were hammered and met each other, you know, half drunk. And, but, um, when I saw her picture, I mean, I called my mom. I said, I'm going to marry this girl. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and she called me crazy and said, she's like, you need to date 10 other people because, you know, you're going to go, you're going to do what you've done and get too far ahead of yourself. And I'm like, and that wasn't super great advice because we've got a beautiful marriage and four children. And in fact, after I went on a date with her, I took my mom's advice and went on a date with another girl. And she, we get done with this date and we're like, she says, um, Hey, we should go swimming. And it was like, it was 11. And we're, so we were, I was driving to the beach with her to go swimming. And all of a sudden the date I had just gone on with the woman, Katie, who became my wife, like she just came into my mind and I, um, I called the girl and said, Hey, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't do this. I can't go swimming and we can get together some other time. And then I called Katie and talked to her all the whole way back to my house. And it was just this like, man, kind of believing what I already believed in myself. And so, you know, just another story on this last night, we went out to dinner and, um, we're sitting in this super tight little spot and they're going to sit two people next to us. And it's like, we're going to be shoulder to shoulder, like almost like I'm going to be eating off of their plate. And so just to like, not make it awkward, I go to say hi to the people and, you know, be nice as they're coming in and they're like, Oh, Matt, what's happening. And I'm like, Hey, great to see you guys. And then Katie comes in to save me and says, yeah, you know, last time we saw you, we were in Las Vegas. And I'm like, Oh yeah, right. Awesome. John and Stacy, it's great to see you guys. And, and like, she jogged my memory and they said, yeah, our daughter just went to Clemson and we're empty nesters. And all of a sudden I had everyone else's negative narrative about what it means to be an empty nester come over me. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, it's gotta be so lonely at home. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's the best. It's the absolute <laughs> best. Like we're going out, Ooh. we're going out on dates. We're going to the movies. We got total freedom. We got, we talk to our daughter every day, but, um, like we just love it. And I, you know, Katie and I took a walk downtown after dinner and I said, you know, John and Stacy showed up to show us that what our future looks like when our children go off to college is that it's going to be the best because we'll write that narrative. And I don't need everyone else's negative narrative about, and they give this to me all the time. I've got three daughters. They say, oh, just wait till they're high schoolers. You know, the emotions is going to be the worst. I'm like, every time they say that, I'm like, no, it's going to be the best. Like, I can't wait until they're high schoolers. I can't wait to be, you know, uh, teaching them how to drive and going to their games. And, and when they come home and they've got heartbreak, just being the dad that gets to be there with them and growing that bond deeper. It's just, it's, it's exactly what you just said. We get to write the narrative and I'm not going to listen to everyone's negativity because the majority of the world is cynical. It's like we bond over it. We bond over, Oh, dating sucks. Men suck. Women are awful. You know, no one's loyal anymore. All the good ones are taken. We bond over this misery. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, uh, that's a great story about you and your wife as well. But I mean, it's so true, practically. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's fine to vent, like get it out, like bond over some common human experiences. I mean, that's the nature of how we bond. We bond over frustrating things, but like you get to decide what that means. Like, and that's the, that's the power of writing your narrative. It's also the power of who you surround yourself with. It's the power of what you consume. It's all those things combined. But at the end of the day, you are the one who gets to write the the final record of what that means for you in your mind. And it just makes me sad sometimes when I see people give up on, on things in life because they had admittedly some bad experiences 
And then they listen to other people who also had bad experiences and then it becomes this narrative of that is life. That is that is the reality of life. And I always try to be empathetic with people, of course, uh, who have been through things that that no one deserves. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's it does come down to, you know, you writing or rewriting the the rules and expectations for yourself. And I think that's the greatest gift we can give ourselves, despite like I'm big on the word despite. Right. I think that is one of the final chapters in But First Interpiece. Despite it's like we're always going to feel these things. We're always going to feel the temptation. We're on social media. We're always going to see these things. We're going to watch movies about these things. The the difference in life between a life of regret and a life of you know uh, celebration in a sense is our is our ability to use that word. Despite I feel this, but despite it, I believe this. I've seen this, but despite it, I believe this. You know, I heard this, but despite it, I believe this. You know. Depends on where the emphasis is, but like I like that word despite because it's unrealistic to be like, I am always optimistic, I'm always happy, I'm always this. It's you know, feel that thing, go through that thing, see that thing, but despite it, and then you get to write what's on the other side of that sentence. So I like words like that. Sometimes those are important to have in your back pocket. Yeah. And then hang out with people that uh yeah, also, it. also reinforce what you want to yeah. believe. Yeah. So one of my favorite things you talk about in your book is aligning your heart with your head. Why Why do that? What's the point? And how, how do you even do that? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, like the whole book is about manifestation, which is a topic that normally I, I would stay away from because what does that freaking mean? But I just see so many people talk about I get up in the morning, I have my coffee and I manifest. And I was like, what does that mean? And, you know, I, I you know, again, everyone has their own definition. That's great. Um, you know, you could read the secret of you know, manifesting. Manifesting is is visualizing and, and visualizing is knowing what you want. And as long as you know what you want, eventually it'll appear in your driveway, which obviously is an absurd concept. But I do believe in, in manifesting in a sense of aligning literally what we're talking about here, what you tell yourself with what you believe. Like, again, like we can't want a partner and expect a partner, but in our heads say that all men are dishonest and all women are crazy. Those things do not coexist. They they can't. I just like logically, like I don't believe in a lot of of things that other people do, like energies and vibrations of frequency. I, I might one of these days, but I'm very practical. And when it comes to attraction and just literally the words and the stories that we tell ourselves, it, it does not make sense to me how we could expect one thing but tell ourselves the literal opposite. We can't say I am a failure. But, you know, I am so excited for the day that I'm successful. It just doesn't it just doesn't coincide. We have to learn to rewrite that story. And I and I do think it's that simple. And it's not a matter of blind faith being like, I am worthy of, of everything. And therefore, I will find a partner. It's about knowing why. If you say I want a, a partner, I want success, I want confidence, whatever it may be. The, the equalizer is why. And not a why of being like, oh, because I followed this blueprint or this. It's just it's understanding the, the law of reciprocity. I deserve a partner who is honest because I am honest. I deserve this because I do this. I do this, therefore I deserve this. That is what helps bridge the gap between head and heart, between story and worth. Coming up with that, rewriting that, instead of what we're referencing here of repeating the same negative narrative, but then hoping for an outcome that is in the direct opposite of that. The stories we tell ourselves matter. The words we use matter. Why not tell yourself a more optimistic story? And one that's not just blind, but one that, actually gives you credit for what you're doing. If you're single and you don't want to be and you're frustrated by it and you're starting to tell yourself this negative nar narrative, come back to a why that you deserve. Come back to a story of reciprocity. Um, so 
that I really do believe in the stories we tell ourselves, even though I'm not like hooked into the manifestation community. I do. I really do think that's important. Um, and it, and it could be maybe the shock to your system that you need instead of focusing on what you don't have on all the frustrating experiences you have been through, focus on the things that you are doing that you say make you worthy of the thing that you want. And I think that'll, that'll change how you see life. It's like, think, don't think of a yellow car, you know, <laughs> you could, you know, point yourself in that direction. So I would offer that anecdote. I'm thinking of a yellow car. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't think that, yeah. Don't think that you're going to fail at this next relationship. It's, you, yeah. it's, don't repeat it, the narrative. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I love this idea of feeling proud of yourself. And you talk a lot about that, fostering this this feeling of being really proud of ourselves. Why is that so important? I think, I mean, I think it's all mindset. If you're not proud of yourself, you're naturally going to revert to what you don't have, what other people have. You're going to fall into a spiral of comparison and it's going to solidify that, that learned behavior. If you're not proud of yourself, then you're likely another negative adjective. And the more that you support that, the more it becomes true. So like, I am very big on finding ways to be proud of ourselves, not ego driven, not butterflies and rainbows, but literally just giving ourselves credit for the little things. One of the exercises I talk a lot about, which is a chapter in my new book, is I have this whole journal prompt where I ask people to um, consider the phrase, um, the best revenge in life is to not be like your enemy. And I can I encourage people to come up with a thorough description of who their enemy is in life with the thinking that your enemy is likely the opposite of you. It's the version of you. If you threw everything you've ever learned, everything you value, every characteristic of yours that is positive and you threw it out, that's the enemy of you. And I encourage people to literally write out who their enemy is so that they compare, can compare themselves to that person and say, well, I'm not that. I'm not that. I haven't given up on this. I haven't turned cold in this sense and so on and so forth to force a dose of pride upon themselves amidst all the things that they aren't proud of. So I, I do think mindfulness sometimes is, is it's a little, it's brute force. You have to <laughs> encourage yourself to do these things. And obviously I'm a big proponent of journaling, but uh, sometimes it's through journaling prompts. Sometimes it's through mantras, um, things like that. But that's a good one that uh, I encourage people to try. I've never heard that. And I love that exercise. So it's, and, and I'm, um, I think, a journal changed my life. And that's love it. It just love is. It just yeah. is. And and you you have got some incredible journals. And anyone listening, you can look up Case Kenny. Uh his his journals, the products that he has available are are on on his website for you to take home um and make your own and and bring this journal practice in your life. I I you know I train people here at my company. And I say if you want to really enhance your life, you have to examine it. And I've, the only way I've really figured out to examine my life is with pen and paper on this journal. And I, I created a feeling of being proud of myself and counteracting, you know, this negativity, the negative mind that I'll have sometimes by, and I still do this every day. I journal three things I did well yesterday. Just three, just three things. What, what, what are three things I did well yesterday? Because you know what? My mind already counted the 15 things that thinks I didn't do good enough. And so when I have to show up and tell my mind what I did well yesterday, uh, and I'd been doing this for a decade, man, I, I find every day I'm like, find stuff I'm doing well in the act of doing it well. And so I'm fostering this sense of self 
pride of being proud of what I'm doing in the moment because I'm just literally rewiring my brain to focus on what it's doing well instead of all the things it sucks at. Yeah. I like that a lot because I think sometimes we confuse pride with gratitude. And a lot of times people are like, oh, uh, you know, maybe I'll just sit down and, and make a gratitude list, which I'm a big proponent of. But when we think about gratitude, we think about presence, right? We think about what we have, right? I have this person in my life. I have this accomplishment. I have this paycheck. I have this thing. Great, great. But what we fail to give ourselves credit for is we think, you know, pride is, comes before gratitude. Like to be proud of yourself, you don't need to have that thing yet. Pride, a lot of the time, so our whole point of like using words, a different sentence structure, pride in my world is having not given up on something, even though you don't have the thing yet to be grateful for. And in a sense, you're grateful for not giving up on the thing. But like sometimes we confuse the two and like we sit down and we try to come up with a gratitude list and we're like, well, man, I don't have this. I don't have that. And then we get even further in our heads. Whereas this idea of pride is saying, I haven't given up on this. I did this thing well yesterday, even though it hasn't delivered the outcome that I want. I did the dishes when I normally wouldn't want to do the dishes, small thing, um, stuff like that, I think is the difference between pride and gratitude. And sometimes we gratitude can get, get us in a deeper hole because we're thinking about what we have and then quickly we spiral to what we don't have. And then it becomes this whole thing. Whereas pride is this idea of not giving up on things that are soulful and deep. And um, that's why I really like turning to adjectives in that sense, instead of verbs and subjects and objects adjectives. I am not this. I haven't given up on this. I refuse to be this way because I've been treated this way. That is pride that hopefully turns to gratitude. But um, I think there is a difference. I'm so glad you went into that. And they are they are two totally different things. And I also count the things that I'm grateful for from the day before. And it is completely different than what I did well. Yeah. And it's man, awesome. yeah. Case, um, I, I, it's just been an honor and a privilege to have this conversation. You're one of my heroes and you're out, you're out there just crushing it and changing lives. 8 million people have downloaded your wisdom. You know, tens of millions of people are listening to you on a consistent basis. How, how could people that are listening to this show learn more about you and learn more about your work? Well, I appreciate that, man. Again, giving me a, a platform to share the things I, I love is, is always a gift. I mean, it's it's simple. It's case.kenny on Instagram, the podcast, New Mindset Who Dis, newmindsethoodis.com if you want to journal. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's all about the podcast. Like that's where I just like breathe life into the things that I'm passionate about. And it's a gift and a privilege to to have people relate to it so heavily, which I think is just a reflection of the 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 commonality of the human experience, man. We're all going through the same things. And, you know, maybe one something I say offhand changes your life, that would change my life as well. So, you know, anyone who wants to listen to that uh, is welcome to. Yeah, beautifully said, man. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Good Mood Show with Matt O'Neill. For free resources, videos, and materials about getting into your best moods, head over to thegoodmoodshow.com. And remember, when you feel like your best self, you are your best self. See you next week. Same time, same place.